of traveling and working and trying to have some sort of different relaxation, but it's extremely difficult because traveling itself just eats so much more of your time um, that you have to kind of work back. You know what I mean? You pay, you, you pay a price for the one and a half days you're traveling and getting people in and out. You have kids and family. I'm sure that's like additional time, several hours to kind of move people in backwards and forwards. So your ability to do work is really constrained. And um, yeah, the way I'm thinking about it is that either I'm going to stop traveling altogether or I'm going to um, like just get my head down and get stuff done mm. or travel less frequently, but stay longer. So maybe go and do a month somewhere um, uh, where, you know, the, the, the amount of time you're moving around is actually going to be um, less um, comp in terms of a ratio, but you can actually stay like you did in Cornwall, right? I'm doing that every summer from now on. Yeah, I think that's smart. And why, why do it in summer? You should, you should do it in February. You know what I mean? Don't want to be in Glasgow in February, mate. <laughs> good. No, no, definitely, definitely not. That is another another uh, ongoing question I've got. But uh, unfortunately, school, school, kids need to go to school. Yeah, that's, that's Claire. Um, I think that's Claire Bush. So, so knows fully well. Yeah, different commitments. Um, anyway, welcome everybody to. Brain Food Baked big Fresh is episode five. We're going to review uh, issue 314. We're going to try and do this every Monday if Adam and I are both here. Um, the idea is um, loads of people read the newsletter, but we don't get the chance to really talk about it and talk through it. Um, so this is an opportunity for us to do that. And indeed, for people who haven't read the newsletter, it's an opportunity to listen to it um, instead of reading it. So so this is what it's all about. Anyway, um, I'm here with Adam, obviously. Um, Adam, good to see you. And, um, and yeah, uh, pick out a few things, man. What was interesting, mate? Right. So the first thing is I enjoyed um, the new world of work survey two years on from Workable. Mm. Uh, and so the things that I picked out in that were uh, talent acquisition teams are absolutely strapped for resources. Mm -hmm. um, recruiting today is an extremely big challenge uh, and they're constantly trying to hire more people with less people in their teams, less budget for things, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, it's a, a pretty much doubled in, in challenge compared to two years ago when they did their last um, survey. So that was the first one that I picked out on that. It would be um, just on that note, it would actually be very interesting to see whether the absolute numbers of recruiters has gone down let's say from the, the say 2019 2020 peak to where it is now like are we are we literally going with less people doing the job than we did two years ago um, i think more companies have probably got ta teams than they did but think, yeah yeah i think more companies have probably got ta teams than they did because there's a lot more i mean every every month there's another startup you know or scale up business mm. that's bringing in their first head of talent and their first recruiters and sourcers and things like that. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if there's been no increase in overall numbers because the big, biggest companies have got less. RPO continues to grow, yeah. but at the same time, our, I can tell you for a fact, RPO are making no, spe no additional spend if possible right now. They're really, really cautious. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's probably a, like a shift of in-house to RPO in a small way um, because the, some of the some uh, faster-growing companies have absorbed a lot of talent. 
Um, but I, I, there's still small numbers overall. I mean, um, it, it, people who are in TA, internal TA, I think they're still typically looking for a TA role mm. yeah, uh, back in corporate. And you know, maybe I'm moving to different types of businesses outside of just the tech startup scene. Anyway, interesting yeah. report. Uh, anything else you, in, in, within that that was interesting? Yeah, yeah, there was. The return to normal, 4% of people in 2020 thought that their industry would not return to normal. And now it's 23% who are saying their industry will not return to normal. So mm. I think that there's been an acceptance that there is no, uh, you know, there's a lot of people are not, I, I think in, that they're not going to return to normal, but that still says that 73% or 70, no, 77% of people are saying they think that their industry will return to normal. I don't, I, I don't think that's the, the key because Another one, another one of the bullets said that flexible working is definitely here to stay, mm. um, especially when it comes to location. A lot more people can, you know, work in different locations than they could. Interestingly, I think we knew this anyway, but interestingly, this backs up remote, like completely remote is has gone down in the last two years, but partial remote as in hybrid, I guess that means has gone up um, over the last two years. Yeah, so, interesting. Oh. And then the next one, which was in there, which is a segue into another uh, piece of brain food, was that employee monitoring is on the rise. So employee monitoring is on the rise. Now, that's what it said in the workable um, report. And so I wonder if that really means um, we're being asked to do more KPIs and more OKRs or whether that means there's spyware installed on our laptops. The spyware. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the growth. It's one of the mini growth sectors of investment is uh, employee surveillance, even though they don't call it employee surveillance. I think they call it. I mean, this is why I, I kind of rib it, rib. You're totally calling it people bit. analytics. I do, yeah, I do, and I, I annoys the PA people a lot um, because they obviously love people. I love people analytics, but I think the the, the line is very narrow. Um, like, what is people analytics? Where does it turn into bossware? Um, it is bosses looking at it, um, uh, you know, and they are making decisions um, based on your performance, so and so. Um, yeah. So, you know, where is the barrier apart from maybe motivation? um is is the only barrier um but but different should i say but at the end of the day it seems to me like a little bit of a rebranding of the same thing um and you could spin bossware as for the benefit of the employees you can say hey i just want to make sure when my employees are most productive so i don't interrupt them when you know uh, when they're in high productivity that's why i want your webcam on <laughs> you know stuff like that's this. So, why i want your webcam on and i'm going to tell you that if you uh, don't leave it on, then that's insubordination and you'll be asked to participate in a corrective action program. <laughs> be dragged forward into a into a struggle session on Zoom or something. <laughs> and then if you're lucky and then if you're lucky enough to work inside the EU, um, you will actually be able to go to court after you get fired for not keeping your webcam on while you're working. Not when you're in meetings, just while you're working. And this guy uh, received a settlement of 75,000 euros, I believe. So this yeah. is brain, brain food two is the uh, case of the Dutch guy who yeah. was working for an American company that he got fired for not keeping his webcam on, refusing to do it just while he was working, not when in, in meetings, mm -hmm. while he was working. 
So they, they fired him for refusal to work uh, or refusal to be refusal to be monitored at work is what it should have been, but it was refusal to work and insubordination and then was invited to a um, corrective action program. <laughs> Amazing. Sounds like something straight out of Nazi Germany. It was, and uh, no surprise you like backed him on that. Um, and by the way, folks, I'd be interested to know, like, um, like, what are your thoughts on this? Like the certain, the certain rules that do apply for companies, the webcam thing, I think all, always on is a bit strange, but there are some companies that have made a commitment to do that in order to do full transparency, quote unquote. Um, and without the judgment or without the, the sense, sense of penalty, if someone happens to not be at desk, um, it's similar to saying radical candor, for instance. Um, but again, it segues very easily into surveillance. Um, so how does all this work? I mean, if you sign a contract and, and it's in the contract to say your webcam must always be on, um, I assume you waive your future opportunity, your, your future rights to have a problem with that. Um, is that correct? I mean, this is all like new stuff, right? No one knows, right? Who knows? So the guy was working for a, um, it's a US, but it, it's a, a, it's really an Indian company, I think, but it's a, it is technically a US based company. Mm. Um, uh, IT uh, business, software development business called Chetu, C-H-E-T-U, mm -hmm. is the company the person was working for. I feel like it's not the best, it's not the best way to, it's not the best way to manage your people. No, of course not. I mean, I don't think there's anybody listening here who would, would, would publicly endorse that. Um, and, and I think, you know, probably anybody into brain food generally would not be believe in this way. But we may well be a, a kind of a narrow a narrow group of people. Um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, how many people are in work and how many people kind of do stuff that even care about these topics? Um, I, I, it would be surprising, I think, to find there's lots of stuff in there. I, I was actually surprised to hear from a friend of mine who um, did have cursor tracking software, um, and and they were they were they, everyone in the, in the the business was was obliged to do that. So it, you had to install that software into your computer, which basically meant the cursor would be moving and all this. Because I asked her why, why the cursor was moving around. And she was like, yeah, it's like basically to try and, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm at work. And it was like, wow, <laughs> fucking wow. Um, so, so this stuff happens, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, the next one I want to talk about is um i th this was this all blew up last week but i don't think it was i don't think what i saw was the one that you included in in brain food which was from cambridge university i think i saw something different but does the the, the question is does ai de-bias recruitment mm -hmm. so same thing this same is thing, yeah where we've gone to a this is like when uh something's gone to a, it's been something that we've talked about in recruitment for a long long time and it's now become a crossover topic so it's a mainstream topic now and uh, yeah, everybody's asking about this, but it's something that we have talked about for a long time, especially after the Amazon, um, you know, case. That was something that was very famous and raised everybody's conscious of this. The um, I think I think everybody probably watching this is going to already know, but just in case you don't, the question is: Does an algorithm that is programmed by a human who has bias and has programmed that algorithm with their own bias? Uh, you know, could it possibly um, actually remove bias from recruitment? And the answer is probably no, not in this iteration that we have today. And so, you know, somebody's going to have to come up with a better answer to this. But 
I really believe there's so many companies over the last few years who have shot themselves in the foot by putting on the front page of their website, de-bias recruitment. That's what we do. We de you know, and in actual fact, that wasn't really the main purpose of what their software did. It helped recruiters to match people to jobs faster and do their jobs faster. Um, but because they majored on their marketing message being about uh, de-biasing, they have really um, brought this whole concept up to the very surface. And it would have been better if they'd never said that in the first place. So yeah. uh, I see Michael's on here who knows a huge amount about de-biasing uh, your recruitment. And yeah, he's he's agreed. We actually, he and I spoke about this about 10 days ago in person. Um, so yeah, Cambridge University has put out some research which uh, which basically shows, yeah, no, it doesn't de-bias recruitment. It's interesting because, by the way, folks, they've actually like published this exercise that you can test for yourself as to how basically your facial expressions, um, you're changing your facial expressions can essentially change your, your, your score. Um, so, so I think they did choose a particularly vulnerable example um, to prove their point. Um, because this is one of the classic ones, which I don't think many you know, true AI uh, sort of assessment vendors would actually use, where they're trying to basically assess uh, with your facial features um, what your characteristics might be. So in other words, your level of introversion, um, your level of you know, communication, et cetera, and doing it this way. And basically the test was, guess what? You know, you could be a surly person pre-coffee at seven o'clock in the morning and, you know, nine o'clock, 9.30, you'd be a totally different person. Um, and, and you'd have very different results, a very different personality profile, uh, simply because you've basically altered your uh, consciousness by having a load of caffeine or whatever narcotics of your choice. Um, uh, you know, this is the entire purpose of, 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 of narcotics in general, in my opinion, uh, how human beings have evolved uh, almost every culture has evolved a way of doing this um, in order to change our minds. I mean, that's basically why we do it. So anyway, um, the so the, I think they've chosen a very weak test to prove their point. Um, but the underlying point, I think, is still there, which is, as you say, very difficult to make the claim that the uh, AI software or the assessment software is going to magically make your uh, recruitment uh, unbiased. Um, primarily because the data is typically going to be trained or pre-trained with historical data. And that's actually how bias emerges for human beings anyway. You know, most human beings aren't walking around when their babies aren't walking, pre-walking. They're not like bias. Uh, but if they encounter a few things o o over a certain repetition, they'll start thinking, oh, that is correlated with this. Um, and that bias will be inherent. That bias will be part of uh, their thought process. So, so yes, learn behavior and with kind of, kind of teaching the AIs the, the same kind of bias. So anyway. Yeah, Jerry's made a good point. Vendors no longer look at visual facial cues. Um, so and I know that HireVue were the, the, the famous example of a company that said that, you know, this is what we do. There was one in, um, there was one in Israel uh, as well, which did the same type of thing. It was set up by ex-Mossad people. And um, it was, uh, I mean, what they did was, in, was incredible. Um, but yeah, they again, if they hadn't put that on the front page of their website, it maybe wouldn't have got quite as much <laughs> criticism and focus. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Michael's also mentioned that, yeah, there's legislation coming out of the US to put the, the power back in the candidates' hands. I, absolutely. I'm really impressed with um, certain aspects of the way the USA 
is looking at recruitment right now. There's you know places where it, we're going to have to have salaries in job adverts. Mm-hmm. There's places where um, you know work from anywhere. There's there's all sorts of different you know you need to be um, putting the same salary for or you need to be advertising yeah the same salary in different states and you can't advertise like less in Colorado for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know the, it, to me that represents a really big shift forward in the USA. And there's actually they're actually taking a lead on Europe in some of these things, which is not something I I believe we would have said you know two years ago. I believe, yeah, it's state-led, state led though, in the sense that certain states are moving forward with it. Um, even though, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generally pro um, using assessment technology. I think ultimately um, they're imperfect, um, but at the same time, what's the benchmark for, for good? Um, and, you know, a human recruiter is no less biased. Um, in fact, you know, it, it, it's inherently worse. I mean, if you look at the history of human management of recruitment, um, you can evidently see biases happening um, pre-tech. Um, so it seems to me that we need to find a way to use this technology in such a way that it actually improves it, even if it's imperfect. So in other words, um, you know, we need to accept, if you like, flawed solutions. Um, if they are incremental, incrementally progressive, um, that is better than, 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 than simply throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. I think we're definitely. I think we're definitely still <clears throat> the widespread um, way of doing assessment. However, is still, I want more people like Bob, um, and unfortunately, that is um, something we do need to take a responsibility for moving forward. We, we, you know, the only solution to that is actually remove the hiring manager. I mean, just remove the concept of a manager hiring. Correct, a corrective team. program, right? A corrective procedure of the hiring manager. <laughs> What we need is a public struggle session. No, we don't. Um, but um, we need to we need to basically work very similarly to how um, sports academies work, where you decouple the performance manager, which is the coach, away from the talent acquisition person, which is the person that pipelines talent into the business. Um, and and that way, you don't have a situation where where the talent acquisition person their only focus is look does the person have the the raw potential uh the qualities that we can shape all those things that's what they're looking for they're not that bothered about the whims of the individual managers per se they're just going to a brief uh from the top down this is the type of person we want and you just pipeline the talent in um but right now of course we even have the the term hiring manager which tells us that it's still very much territorial part of what the, the job they do. Uh, again, you look at PS companies, professional services companies, how they bring in talent is probably the way in which I think a lot more businesses will go. They've got a, a decoupled T, a TA function, essentially, uh, that simply brings the quality in, typically younger people. So there is anti, there's, there's an ageism issue with this this approach. Um, but you, you mitigate that by simply getting rid of the the, the, the hiring managers who inevitably are going to do I want more of Bob. Um, so I think I think yeah. I think you're absolutely right there. Do you know something that's quite sad though for somebody like you or I? Do you, do you, what what chances do you think there are for you or I to go and train to become if if you or I decided right actually do you know something I'm going to go and become a lawyer or I want to go and become an accountant. I've decided that I'm probably mm-hmm. quite good at that. What mm-hmm. are the chances of you or I getting a traineeship? Oh zero. Uh, I think I think right and rightly so though. You know, I mean, because we've got risk being a, being a trainee. Um, if you were to analyze, like some sometimes a lot of this learned, we call it bias, but it's not ir- irrational per se. 
Um, you know, if you if you turned up, if you set the CV in for a low level role, Adam, I'd, I'd ask several more questions than I would do if you were 25 years younger. Um, same person coming in as a graduate, more more to profile. You've you've hit a certain level career wise. You've hit a certain level uh, life wise. Why are you applying to this entry level recruiter role? Um, I would have a huge question about that. Um, yeah, that's no, that's different though. An entry level recruiter role is different. If I, I'm talking about training to become a lawyer, like all right, you know, doing something completely different. In that, in that respect, I think maybe the legal profession is slightly different or those accredited positions are different because you can kind of delay the, the issue by, all right, fine, <laughs> go, go and do go and do the accreditation on your dollar, all right? And by the time, if you emerge, great, you're qualified. You give you a job for three years, brilliant. Um, so, so that's different. Um, but if, if you're going to, let's say, a entry-level job that doesn't have that accreditation, I've got to train you up and I've got to do all of these things and inculcate you into the business, I've no, got a sure. question mark because yeah. why would you do that? I, I need to know what your incentives are, uh, what your motivation is, and that needs a certain degree of conviction. Certainly your barrier to entry would be higher than than, than otherwise. I don't think yeah. that's unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Um, I want to talk about the... I want to talk about the landlord whose recruitment advert was on the blackboard outside the pub. Right. There um, we go. Let's have it. Yeah. Looking for a chef. <laughs> right. Talking about bias, talking about bias, seamlessly moving towards bias and recruitment, staying a thing in this, in this zone. The, the, the advert on the blackboard basically said chef required no snowflakes, please. Um, when asked about this, he said, uh, since the pandemic, I find that people don't really want to work as much. They constantly want time off. They are flaky. And what I'm looking for is somebody who is hardworking and slightly eccentric. Now, there were absolutely ways of that person, let's call that landlord a hiring manager, right? Conveying what they were looking for without potentially offending a lot of people. They're looking for somebody with values that... Uh, they think are good values for working in that environment. I mean, I don't know, if you've ever worked, I've never worked in a kitchen, but I've been in a kitchen many times where I've gone in to collect stuff to take it out to tables, right? And it's a pressure. And I've sat in plenty of restaurants looking at the kitchen going, that is a pressure cooker environment. Like the term snowflake there probably meant somebody who, you know, is not, as robust as they were looking for, mm. for that particular job. Yep. And, yep. you know, there would have been better ways of explaining it. But I loved the feedback uh, that, they, that they got on Twitter, which went from at one end, people saying, yeah, you're absolutely right. The world is now run with snowflakes and we shouldn't have, you know, as many snowflakes to the other side, which was somebody had said, I hope you get no applicants for this job. So, you know, people took quite a lot of, like there's something about freedom of speech, but then there's also something about, you know, there's a there's a great area here in terms of the use of the word snowflake. Yeah, I'd be interested in everyone's thoughts on this. Like how how good or bad is this? Um, and do you think it's egregiously bad? Um, uh, you know, I, I've got two views. Firstly, using different values. I actually challenge whether that's possible because if you look at where the advert was, it's actually on a blackboard. Um, and there's not, not a lot of space there. <laughs> it's like literally it's, head chef wanted... Like how you can't write a job description on there. So you have to go no. very, very short and brutal. Um, yeah. But secondly, I think you're right about the kitchen environment. Very, very tough. 
a film there's no re-kitchen confidential by anthony Bourdain. out of date now he wrote that in the 1980s whatever but it's a really good expose of what kitchen life was like and it is head chef is going to break your ass it's extremely difficult customers always right loads of people depending on you there's fire everywhere there's sharp blades everywhere it's hard work i've worked in kitchens i totally get it and you get chewed out right you absolutely will get chewed out now you can apply corporate HR values, even startup HR values to a kitchen, that kitchen is not going to work, right? It's not going to work um, because it will, it will simply go, the food will not get out of the kitchen fast enough um, in that type of environment where people start complaining about, you know, this type of treatment. It's Gordon Ramsay style, you know, it's, it's hard that way. So now, does that culture need to change and evolve? I think absolutely. Um, but the question is that needs to change and evolve alongside with customer expectation, food timing, how long are you going to sit there and wait for it? You know, what kind of service are you expecting, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you've got to run a business though. You've got to have, you've got to have, you know, turnaround, which is appropriate for, you know, making as much money as you can make as well. It's very tough business. One in Margins three, are so thin. Yep. And you can't get the staff anyway as well. So all of this type of stuff. So I think what the guy, interestingly enough, this this hiring manager, this, this landlord, his observations were not incorrect uh, in the sense that yep. no one wanted to do this type of work, number one. Yep. We all know this, Candice Shorge. Um, the uh, people wanted flexibility. We all accept that's true. But in a kitchen... You've got limited flexibility, right? You have to work the, the 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 hard hours when everyone else is going out. You have to get Saturday, Friday, Saturday evenings. They're your big days. You have to sacrifice your time. So yeah. flexibility, what does that even mean um, in a kitchen? So there's certain job roles out there which are really incompatible with candidate desires, and he's complaining about it. And I, I, he's then put in, I think, quite a political term, snowflake, um, which these days I think is understood as someone who um, is very careful about exactly this level of communication. I think it's deliberately provocative. Um, yeah. And no surprise, he's generated uh, this type of hubbub. Corollary of all of that, at the end of the day, it should deter people that don't want to apply and work in that environment. And it should attract people of similar values. So if you take that idea uh, uh, as, as the core thing, that uh, an employer branding should deter people as much as attract them, I think he's done you know, a decent job. There'll be another pub down the road that will have a totally different type of uh, 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 landlord, totally different type of advert, and you'll have a totally different type of person. Yeah. Absolutely. I can tell you that uh, a kitchen, working in a kitchen is definitely not someone uh, somewhere for a person with my neuro profile. There is, not <laughs> a, there is not a chance in hell anybody would get the right food with the right sides, the right it's, sauce. I, I, can't go tell, wrong badly. I, can't, I, I can't tell you it's a really good training. I think everyone should give it a go. Everyone should pull a pint. Everyone should be in a kitchen. Just learn how to do that. Because um, that's like basic business. You're, food, you're feeding and watering people. Basic, basic yeah, business. I can do a um, bar, no problem. I've done, I've done many years of that. Yeah. But a kitchen with all those moving parts, God, no, I could not do that. Um, one last one. Yeah, go ahead. Did you ever watch the capture that uh, drama that was on TV recently? I don't right. have a TV, I'm afraid. So I'm uh, out okay. of the loop. Yeah. It was. So the capture was uh, basically um, there was a deep fake created of a government minister. And that deep fake was doing interviews on the BBC and all sorts and saying entirely the opposite of what that cabinet minister actually thought. And mm. so it was all about that. And so anyway, I enjoyed uh, the Joe Rogan interview with Steve Jobs in which mm. neither of them were real humans. 
they were it was just artificial intelligence which had been trained on Joe Rogan and trained on Steve Jobs. Um, this Crazy. is one for probably when we've got a bit more time. But all I thought about was what is the benefit in this other than just showing off what's cap- what is what is possible? Because we're, we we can't we're not going to get to a scenario where um, an AI will t- my AI will talk to your AI and we don't need to be there. And humans think, are not going to actually interact. What's the point? No, no, no. What's the point I, I, I think we absolutely will get there um, because we'll get there for the early conversations, not for the deep conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and I had a bit of dialogue before we came on, right? Or like, are you there? That kind of stuff. That type of stuff could be done by AI. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the little bits of information exchange that isn't necessarily deep. Um, I think that could absolutely be de- done. There's a, there's a, a new concept called digital twinning, which I'm really excited about, um, which is where it's certain, right now celebrities, but they're basically creating AI versions of themselves to be, to be yeah. able to hand, handle fan service. Yeah. Um, and I think that's brilliant. You can totally yeah. imagine a CEO. Bruce Willis. That. Yeah. I think, he, I think he said it was. I think he said it was a fake article, though. It was. A, it was fake, it, yeah, fake information. He, he, but... he later said it was fake. Uh, but there's enough information, particularly stuff like you and me that are on sort of live stream all the time. There's actually quite a lot of data about us now. So I would be surprised oh, yeah. if our voices weren't able to be replicated, and our faces even, our, our uh, mannerisms and so on. We could probably get to a deep fake version of brain food at some stage. Um, and I think that'll be a really interesting experiment. I don't see that as a negative. I think that could be a way in which, firstly, a demonstration of the tech. Um, a second thing could be you could do like uh, customer service and frequently ask questions and stuff. Um, yes, this is true. Absolutely. Yeah. So right. yeah, you could do first stage interviews and things like that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it'd be quite cool being interviewed by an avatar, Steve Jobs, the spirit of Steve Jobs, because you you can actually program what he might say yeah. in yeah. That, in these situations and yeah. accurately predict that's what he would say. So yeah. why would that not be a cool feature? Anyway, listen, that's it. Um, um, we'll keep uh, doing the brain through baked freshers. Um, you're back this Friday, by the way, in case yeah. if you didn't know. Um, yeah. Can't so wait. We're going to do Brain Food Live on air on Friday. Make sure you turn up for that. We're going to talk hiring, firing, and startup and scale-up culture. Real talk. Um, so we're going to strip away all the BS. Let's demystify it. What does it really mean to work in one of these organizations? Now is the time to find out. Uh, okay, follow the channel, folks. I'm thinking sure about keep watching. Um, I'm thinking about sending my deep fake on instead of me <laughs> turning up for that. You know what? That's the ambition of 2023, to actually get a deep fake on. <laughs> on the screen to see where, how, where the, the programming, uh, the technology is there. Cause mm-hmm. I, I'm excited to explore. All right. That's it. Yeah. Cool. Take it easy folks. See you later. Cheers. Bye everybody.